1 Kings 16. We're going to break in at verse 29 and read into chapter 17, the first seven verses there. 1 Kings chapter 16. We'll read from verse 29 to verse 7 of chapter 17. That's all here. The Lord's inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa king of Judah began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbael, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. In his days did Hiel the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram his firstborn and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son Segub according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Joshua the son of Nun. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Kareth, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Amen. God bless the reading of his word for his name's sake. Would you bow for with your head with me for a moment, please? Let's all ask the Lord for the word tonight. Let's all pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we do pause for a moment to remind our own hearts that we need thee. Thou knowest what we have need of before we ask. We are confident, Lord, that Thou art the hearer and answer of prayer. Fit this, this word tonight for every soul. In Jesus' name and for His glory we ask it. Amen and amen. The 19th century Scottish Presbyterian minister by the name of Alexander White said of Elijah that he, and I quote, towers up like a mountain in Gilead above all the other prophets. He was a Mount Sinai of a man with a heart like a thunderstorm. Another commentator describes Elijah as this colossus 
among ordinary men who dwarfs us all. It's certain that there is a grandeur, uh, a mysteriousness, and even, you might say, an unearthliness about Elijah that is all his own. He appeared on the scene of time out of nowhere. There's no history of Elijah. It is usually the case that God's word gives some indication of a prophet's lineage when he's introduced in scripture, but not this time, not with Elijah. Matthew Henry says that Elijah drops, so to speak, out of the clouds. We know nothing about his father and his mother except what we might glean by the name they chose for their child, Elijah. My God is Jehovah. While we know next to nothing about his early life and his upbringing, there is one thing we can be sure of. God was preparing Elijah all through those silent years when we have no idea what was going on. God was preparing his servant for the day when he would suddenly appear and commence the work that God had for him. Never forget that every single experience through which the Lord calls us to enter, every single experience is the Lord simply preparing us for something further, teaching us something that we might be better prepared for the next thing he has for us to do. What is particularly striking about this prophet is that while he had a heavenly name, he had anything but, at times at least, a heavenly demeanor. He was very human. Elijah. While some of the old Jewish rabbis believed that Elijah was an angel that God had sent from heaven, it's the Apostle James who makes it very clear, leaves no doubt about it. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Now that statement, that statement right there, in light of what we actually read about his life in 1 Kings would indicate that not only was Elijah liable to the same weaknesses of human nature that you and I experience, but that he was a Indeed, he seems to be always subject to one passion or another. You find him on Mount Carmel. And it's the passion of contempt and scorn that he has for those false prophets who are jumping up and down upon their altar, cutting themselves with knives. And he just mocks them. Well, maybe your God's asleep or he's going on a journey somewhere. You better scream louder. Of course, those dummies, they actually do it. But he's just laughing the whole time. He was having a great time on Mount Carmel. He outruns Ahab's chariot. After he's up on the mount praying to God, sees a cloud like a man's hand. The rain's coming. He outruns Ahab's chariot. And in that running, you can just see the prophet 
running for all he's worth, and he's full of joy and exaltation. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Praise his name. Not long after that, however, you find Elijah sitting under a juniper tree full of the passion of sadness and despair and dejection. Lord, just go ahead and kill me. It's not going to get any better. Take my life. He was a man with a nature like ours. And I would submit to you that it's a good thing that Elijah had this kind of nature. He was living in a day when that kind of a man was needed. A passionate man. He was more fit to deal, as you know his, anything of his life, he was more fit to deal with the, the, the bold sinners They didn't need a pushover. They didn't need a prophet who was a namby-pamby. Someone who was passionate about his God, about God's law. You see, God suits men for the work he's designed them to do in the day in which they are to live. As Matthew Henry puts it, rough spirits are called to rough services. You see, the, the, the Protestant Reformation of, of, of the 16th century needed a strong, rough, bullheaded man like Martin Luther. And he was bullheaded. He was a stubborn German. But that's what was needed. Heaven helped the Reformation if Melanchthon was the leader. Because Melanchthon didn't have a real strong backbone but not Luther. Perhaps if it had been left up to us to decide the right man to deal with the problem facing Israel, we would have never, we would have never picked a lot. You know, he's just too hot-headed. He's too moody. Too explosive. God knew. He knew the hour, and he knew, to, he, he knew the kind of man that was necessary for that hour, and his man was Elijah. Is to see, to see just, just what the grace of God can do in and through the life of any of his people. He can take this rough, shod character like Elijah, with all of his passions, his ups and his downs, and use him mightily. For any Christian worker who feels the area of service that the Lord has placed him or her in looks hard and difficult, just look at what God did through Elijah. If you will read this man's story with with open eyes and with an open heart, you will surely find encouragement. Many Christians feel very much alone in their work for God. I think there are many churches who feel very much alone in their work for God. Perhaps you might feel like that way out here in the Southwest, so far from so many. 
We're all alone. The task seems lonely. In cases like that, whether it's an individual, whether it's a congregation, whatever it might be, it seems like that the Lord is requiring you to give up many things that other Christians enjoy. Other churches enjoy. And at times you could well be tempted to think just like Elijah. I only am left. No one else is standing. Of course, you'd be wrong in that, but Elijah was wrong in that too. But he felt that way, and it depressed him. I'm the only one standing. So there's encouragement from the story of Elijah. And then there are other believers whose patience is severely tried because they see so few results from all their labors. So little fruit. Here again, you'll find help for your soul when you see how God enabled Elijah to patiently endure, even in the midst of an awful fainting fit. He didn't see a whole lot of fruit. You do know that. He thought Israel was going to turn back to God after Mount Carmel and the rain came. And he heard them saying, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. This is it. Revival is here. And it wasn't. Jezebel said, he'll be a dead man tomorrow. And he runs off in terror. He didn't see a whole lot. The scene I want to fasten your minds and hearts upon tonight is this one where we find Elijah dwelling three years beside the brook Kareth. What in the world could we glean from that? I mean, do you think this actual scene has been recorded in Scripture history lesson about Elijah? All Scripture is given God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So that tells me right here there's doctrine, there's reproof, there's correction, there's instruction in righteousness. Pray tell, what is it? Elijah. He suddenly appears in Ahab's court one day with a message from God about a drought. And just as suddenly he disappears. I would have been, who's this, this strange guy just shows up in the court. There's not going to be any rain, any dew for three, except at my word. I'm gone. It's where God sent Elijah and the lessons he needed to learn while dwelling by that brook, Kareth, that I want to say a few things about tonight. So if you want to give it a title, if you take notes, lessons to be learned when sitting by a drying brook. So verse 7 does read, after a while, that the brook dried up. Little by little by little, the brook is drying up. God needed to teach Elijah some important lessons about 
the life of faith and the kind of life that was going to be useful in his work. And so he sent him to dwell beside this brook that eventually ran dry. And it is here that he and that we tonight must learn some valuable lessons. So, God sends his servants to sit beside a drying brook, and that can take on many forms. You understand this would have been a trial for him. You can only go three days without water. You dehydrate. The organs begin to shut down. Three days. So he sees the brook. It's day by day, week by week. The flow gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's no word from God. What do you do? Wouldn't you say that's a trial? Wouldn't you say he's testing Elijah? What is Elijah going to do? Why does God do this to us? Why does God put us in these places where we are being tested and it looks as if it's going to go from bad to worse and then what are we going to do? So first, he puts his servants beside a drying brook that they might learn the importance of following God's will one step at a time. Don't take that for granted because it's a hard lesson to learn. One step at a time. The reason Elijah appeared before Ahab was because God sent him there. He told him to do that. When he says to Ahab in verse 1, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, he's making it very clear that he was on an errand from God. God sent me with this message. God said, go, and he went. He got a word from God. He obeyed his command. That was what God showed him to do. But now note verse 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him. After that, Elijah had, had faith at that first commandment of God. And here we find the Lord giving new guidance to his servant. What does that show us? That we must, as servants of God, take one step at a time. He didn't tell Elijah up front, well, you know, after you go talk to Ahab, I want you to go into the hide yourself by the brook Kareth. He didn't tell him that. He just said, you go stand before Ahab, and you just wait on me, and I'll tell you what to do. And just try to put yourself in his shoes. Ahab, <laughs> this apostate king, idol worshiper, and there comes this prophet of Jehovah. It's going to be a drought. And I've got the keys to the clouds. You see from these first two verses that Elijah had no idea what he was going to do after speaking to Ahab until God showed him what to do. God didn't reveal his will to Elijah about what he was to do next until he spoke to Ahab. And I have to believe that he was wondering what he was going to do next. He, I, I would. Wouldn't you? What's next? But see, that, that wasn't to be a concern of his. 
I have said for years, and you might not like it, but whether or not you do, it's the truth. We're all control freaks. Every last one of us. All of the we want what's, to know what's going to happen next. We want everything to be planned out. We don't like any surprises. Everything so we don't have to worry about it. But that's not how God leads his child by faith. It's just one step at a time. You can get yourself all tied up in knots thinking about what the next step should be. Well, what I do know, when you are to take the next step, God will show you what it's to be. I mean, don't think for one moment that God has some inability to make his will clear to you. We talked about this this morning. He's the master. He's the Lord. We're servants. We do his bidding. He has no difficulty whatsoever. I, I've told the Lord often, Lord, you know how slow to get it I am. So make it so plain to me. I'm like a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. Please make it clear to me. And one thing I do know is that the Lord wants his will for me far more than I want his will for me. And he will show me. But it will be one step at a time. That's an important lesson to learn for a church, for a family, for individual believers. Our life in this world, as you all know right well, is to be lived by faith. Faith in God, faith in what he has written in his word. Not faith in people, not faith in your circumstances, and trying to discern the will of God merely by circumstances. You see, you and I are not infallible interpreters of providential circumstances. We make a mistake if we think we can look at it. Well, that must be the Lord's will. We are not to depend upon our feelings. Well, I got peace about it. How often I've heard that. Peace comes and goes. And it comes and goes because of circumstances. What we need is for the Lord to lead us by his word. And that's where our trust, that's where our hope, that's what we depend upon. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Where's the faith if we have to have everything revealed up front? Where's the trust? He gives us just enough light to take the next step. Back in, in May of April 2019, it was a case of do I stop the ministry or do I carry on and carry on and carry on? And I came to realize, you know, the best thing I can do is go as far as I can down this road until I can go no more. That's the best thing you can do. Go as far as you can. Not worry about down, down the road, but I've got light for this 
And as long as I have light and grace and strength for this, that's what I'll do. I'll carry on like this as long as I can. And when it's time to know more what you need to do, the Lord will show you what you need to do from his word. It's unbelief, really, that doesn't, doesn't trust. Not willing to patiently wait upon the next word from God. Unbelief will panic and think, I've got to do something. Unbelief will worry. Unbelief will, like Elijah, get depressed and in despair. It's the strangest thing, this power of unbelief. This man had no problem mocking 450 men and taking them by, by, down by the brook Kishon and he slew every one of them. You know, that's, that's something. 450 prophets and you got a sword in your hand and you slay them all. But a woman scares him. Jezebel. Somehow the God who answered his prayer on Mount Carmel, who sent down the rain and sent down the fire and consumed the sacrifice, somehow now, because Jezebel is speaking, he's not strong enough to deal with her. Wasn't expecting this. This was a surprise. Israel didn't turn to God. And now he's sitting under this juniper tree Wanting to die. <laughs> and we're just like him. We're just like him. We're like the psalmist, David. Well, my mountain stands strong. And God hides his face and we're troubled. So what's the Lord do? Well, I'm going to put you in a place where you're just going to have to wait on me and my word, even though the brook is drying up. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, is still in the Bible. Had Elijah leaned on his own understanding, gone his own way, the last thing he would have done in my humble opinion, would have been go to hide himself by the brook Kareth. I mean, he's just appeared on the scene. He's telling this king, heaven is shut. If you want rain again, I'm going to sing it. Three years it's going to be that way. Now, as I see Elijah, the thing I think he would have naturally wanted to do was to start a preaching tour throughout Israel. Calling upon revival, repentance, turn. You see this drought going on? It's going to get worse and worse. Yet, but no, what the Lord do? He just hit him away. Hit him away. And went so against his natural grain. He was a man of the mountains. Not dwelling by a brook. In solitude. I imagine that Elijah would have loved to go around the land of Israel and tear down those idols of Baal. He'd have been, it, was a, it would have been a heyday for him. Knocking one down after the other. But the time was not ripe for that. 
very thing that God did not want Elijah to do. Elijah's reasoning and natural inclinations were of no use now. What he needed to do was simply wait upon the Lord and see what God would say. You see, God was setting Elijah aside for a time to give his message time to work. You see, the Lord, when we're sitting there in this situation where it's waiting and waiting and I don't know, the Lord has this way of just causing his word to go out there and do the thing that needs to be done, preparing and equipping for what has to be next. It was one step at a time. We forget that, I say. Faith falters. We think, if I take this step, if I do what the Lord is telling me to do, whatever it might be, which is certain to involve more difficulty, what am I going to do? You know, there's only one answer to that, and it's the Lord's answer. You just take the next step and trust me. I'll take care of you. I will take care of you. How often have you sung, Be not dismayed, whate'er betide? God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. Through every way or all the day, God will take care of you. But we act like unbelievers. When you're trusting that God will take care of you, one step at a time, what have you to fear? What is there to worry about? Elijah took the step to which he was led, delivered the message he was told. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get thee hence, hide thyself by the brook Kareth. The Lord did not give Elijah that new revelation until he obeyed the first revelation. There wasn't any point in doing that. There's a lesson to learn from that, you know. Don't expect the Lord to give you fresh guidance from his word if you haven't already obeyed the word he gave you the first time. He gives revelation, you know, instruction and light more and more. Uh, well, they're serious. They're going to obey what I said. It reminds me of the young preacher who came, took a call to a church. And uh, he preached his first message. And the people loved it. It was powerful. And he came back the second Sunday and he preached the same message. It was good, but kind of raised some eyebrows in the church. And he came back the third Sunday and he preached the exact same message. So the people were just not happy about that and they got one of the deacons to come and talk to this young preacher. You know, he said, we really like that first message, but this is the third time you need to preach something different. He said, I will when you do what I said in the first message. You haven't done that yet. That's how it works, you know. The Lord 
you want to know more of his way and more of the steps, well, then you obey me here, and I'll show you what to do next. That's how our faith grows. I, I, I think we have adopted in our day, our culture as Christians, what I call a fast food faith. We think we're going to wake up the next morning and our faith is going to be a lot stronger. But that's not how the Lord does it. He brings us to these carrots where the brook dries up, testing situations so that our faith will grow. It's like if you work out, you know what weightlifting is like. You know, you want toned muscles, those triceps, lats to grow wider. The muscles, strong faith, it's got to be resistance. Bearing the burden by the brook, went to the word of the Lord. I won't do anything until he says. Know how many times we have gotten ourselves in the pickles because we have failed to do that? We have taken things into our own hands and we have been in haste and we have not followed this. You just wait for God's word one step at a time and then get ourselves into a mess. And we regret what we've done. If only we had just waited for the Lord's word instead of fretting about it. Second lesson to be learned. God sends his servants to sit beside drying brooks for their own protection. It's true that Elijah's life was in danger from Ahab. As you read about later on, he wanted this man killed, one in his head. As the drought started taking its toll on the land, Ahab sent out his army to hunt Elijah down because he thought he was the man responsible for all this trouble. A drought is a serious thing in the land. You would know more about it than I would living in the middle of a desert. But Elijah was in danger from another quarter, and I... And I I don't mean from Ahab, from without, but I mean a danger from within. And by from within, I mean he was, because of the kind of man that he was and because of how God had already used him, can you imagine being given the privilege of shutting up heaven, so to speak, being the one who... When you say it's going to rain, at my word, he says, it's going to rain again. Elijah's the key in all this. There's a pride element there that could really come in. And remember, he said, I only I am left. I'm the only one standing. Really, Elijah? You think, Jehovah, you're the only one left? I smell a bit of pride there. He had stood firm before this king. God had shut up heaven because of his prayers. I can assure you that Elijah was a, 
candidate for self-confidence. So God set him aside for three whole years. He was just hidden. Just hidden. No public ministry. To humble him. The volcanic, passionate Elijah, who was right at home on Mount Carmel, right at home facing those 450 prophets of Baal, right at home calling down fire from heaven. He was in his element. It's the kind of man that he was. A mountain man. But to dwell for three years by this brook and be fed by ravens who were unclean animals would have been anything but living in his element. But God was going to use that three-year experience of severe self-discipline and of learning to completely lean upon the Lord for even his daily food to bring it about. He had to humbly submit to God. It's hard to be alone. It's hard. He was alone. We need to learn the lesson and learn it well that the Christian the Lord really uses to any great degree has got to be humbled, has got to be brought to see his own bankruptcy, where he says, I am nothing and I have nothing. Not just confessing it with our mouths, but really in the depths of our souls. Because we can say we, we are nothing and we have nothing, but not be humbled before the Lord. And so the Lord will just set us aside. Out of the public view and usefulness until we really learn our own nothingness. That God can get along without us quite well. That he's not dependent upon us. That we're really bruised reeds and smoking flax. There's no better way of bringing a man down than by taking him suddenly out of a sphere of service when he begins to think that he's essential, that he's important, that people can't do without me. And teaching that child of God that he is not at all necessary to God's plan. It is God who takes that believer and as he sits beside that brook, whatever the brook is going to represent, is, we'll talk about that in a moment, but as things begin to ebb away, he teaches that child of his how little he really is. He begins to consider what's motivating you? What's your driving force? Why do you want to be a prophet? 
There's a third lesson to be learned. God sends his servants to sit beside a drying brook to teach vital lessons about the life of faith. As Elijah dwells, I don't know if he built himself a little thatched roof hut, but he's there, dwelling there for three years straight. As he watches the brook Kareth dry up, his source supply of water. Remember, there's a drought in the land, so. Birds aren't bringing water, just food. So many believers have to see many things they hold precious, like Elijah, ebb away. That brook was precious to him. It was his water supply. It's growing smaller and smaller. God brings his people to places like that where things that are precious began to ebb away. John the Baptist, for instance, experienced the drying brook of ebbing popularity. He was the man for a season. Behold the Lamb of God, and they flocked around him. But that began to change. And then they began to flock around Jesus. He, he watched that take place. His disciples had a hard time with it. But not John the Baptist. Others have had experience to sit beside the brook of ebbing health. Weaker and weaker, the older we get. Things we used to do, we can't do anymore. Thought I could walk those two and a half miles in 40 minutes that I did two years ago and I can't now. The body's wearing down. And it's not going to get better because none of us are going to get younger. We're going to get older. Age-related disease sets in. Our minds aren't as sharp. Memories begin to fail us. Things that were so simple at one time, like opening a jar, we can't do anymore. Hands are crippled with arthritis. We're too weak. It ebbs out. It's a drying brook. Sometimes... And I think we're going to see it more and more in our day is the brook of financial poverty. Money is going to get less and less and less. The bank account will dwindle. You might have been fat and flourishing at one time, but you know, unless something happens and and you watch it. What am I going to do? Well, what did Elijah do as he sat there beside the brook? You know what he did? He stayed where the Lord placed him. 
It was at Kareth that God promised to supply his need. At Kareth. Verse 4, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Underline there. Not anywhere else. There at Kareth you will be fed. You go somewhere else. So Elijah, believing that, refused to panic and run away from the Lord's will, even as the brook dried up. He waited for the Lord and he trusted the promise. Why? Why? Because God promised him there would be rain again in the land. What should we do as we sit at our drying brooks, whatever the drying book in your case might be. Well, we do what Elijah did. We don't let Satan persuade us that God has somehow forsaken us because the brook is drying up. That God has forsaken us because the times are tough. Times are tough for the church. They're tough. And they're not going to get easier. Things will wax worse and worse. The more you are going to stay the course as a body of believers, the more you stand by your convictions that we were looking at this morning, I tell you, you're going to become odder and odder and odder. You haven't changed any. It's the world that's changed and the church has changed. Christians have just somehow forgotten about being steadfast and unmovable and about holding on to the word of God and holding on to convictions. So the more you stay there, the odder you seem. It's, it's, it's rough. So what do you do? You move on? You leave? Well, let's go where there's more people. More fellowship. Let me tell you one thing. If the Lord sent you here, you better stay. You better stay. Regardless of the drying brook, That's a life of faith. Because there's these, these, there, there's these deep lessons that we have to learn, and we can only learn them by the drying brook. So in the place of trial, which I take this to be, the Lord teaches We, we are Calvinists, right? Maybe you don't like the word Calvinist. I don't. As I said one time years ago, <laughs> without thinking, Paul was a Calvinist. Well, Paul preceded Calvin, but the point was, thorough believer in the absolute sovereignty of God. God does as he wills. He rules from his throne. 
it's not just a matter of God's in control. He is in control. It's more than that. God is directing everything. Not just controlling it, but directing it. When you say he's ordained whatever comes to pass, not at all the author in any way of sin, but he has ordained. There's this divine decree and everything that's going to happen from the, the, the falling of the stars to the falling of a snowflake. Absolute Absolute sovereignty. He reigns over all. That lesson we learned by a drying. It was, can you imagine having a couple of ravens or however many there were that brought in bread and flesh? <laughs> These winged waiters. Every day. On time. Twice a day. Well, this God sent those ravens I have no doubt took the food off of Ahab's table out of his kitchen and brought it right into Elijah. What a laugh he had about it all, you know. It's God who's sovereign. A lot of times it takes those very things for those truths that we often so easily roll off our lips that God is absolutely sovereign. It grips our hearts and we believe our souls and it brings rest to us as we sit beside a drying brook in the midst of the trial I'm here by God's divine appointment and this is not going to end until he says it's going to end and so everything's okay you believe that sure you do when the brook isn't drying up and there's no trials and the sun is shining on your life sure you do it's a different story when God puts you in a place where everything is just being taken away is he sovereign then? you better believe it That's why, that's why Romans 8.28 has become so precious to God's people. God makes all things work together for good. In the place of trial, the Lord teaches his servants something else. There by the drying brook, Elijah learned the value of the secret place He's all alone, alone with God. There would be no distraction. He could now commune, alone with the Lord. Don't you see that we are at a time in human history where it's like there's got to be a continual distraction? I don't have a cell phone, but if I did, I watch my son and his girlfriend. And not just them, but the, so you have the phone. A distraction. Something always, always clamoring for the attention. 
And the thought of actually getting alone with the Lord for a solid hour of uninterrupted communion is getting rarer and rarer and rarer. The Lord has this way of bringing us to these careths where we are actually just shut away and there's no one and there's nothing to distract so we can have that communion with him that's going to make all the difference in the world to our own faith. Every child of God that has wielded any kind of power with men has said power with God first. And that power has come with communion. There's power. There is power in prayer. Spiritual power, ability, faith, grace. It's given. It's, communic- it's like a pipeline to heaven from God to us. And there's all kinds of things that can clutter the pipeline. And therefore, because the pipeline is cluttered with all kinds of junk, we need not wonder why we don't have more power over temptation. Why we feel so weak in prayer. Why there's not this longing for the word of God. Why is it my love for the Savior growing more and more? Why am I so afraid of men? Why am I not speaking more for the Lord? Why is it I'm shut down so easily? Why am I so full of unbelief? There's no no need to ask why. The pipeline is cluttered. Now when the Lord... The people the Lord uses on any level, they, they've been alone with God. John, John Welsh, she was a Scottish covenanter. He had this kind of power. He thought the day ill spent when he did not spend eight to ten hours in the prayer closet. It boggles my mind. He, he, it was not a good day if he didn't spend eight to ten hours in the prayer closet. Now, I'm, I'm not saying if you don't do that, you're a carnal wretch. I'm saying that man was used eminently of God. And it's no wonder. You'd find Andrew Bonner often spending three hours in prayer. I go out in the woods and pray hours at a time. And yet you find him lamenting at the end of his life. He wished he'd prayed more. I don't know. When's the last time you spent three hours on your knees? David Brainerd went to the woods of North America where the snow around him would melt because he spent long seasons in prayer. John Fletcher, who was a preaching companion of John Wesley, he would spend hours upon his knees with his students, pleading for the fullness of the Spirit until they could kneel no longer. You want to know why you're in that trial? Why you're in that drying brook? Just so you can just give more uninterrupted communion with the Lord. 
In this place of trial, this drying brook, the Lord teaches the servant something else, and that is what it is to trust him without any reservation. With the water getting less and less every day, Elijah might have worried about what was going to happen when it dried up altogether. So he had to, he had to actually trust the Lord completely. Completely. He had promised he would feed him there. He would take care of him there. So even though there, because the water's drying up, looked more and more like the wrong place to be, he had to trust God and stay there where God had put him. Without reservation. It's not a case of, Lord, I'll trust you if you... I'll believe you if you... No. You told me to stay here, and here I'll stay. You told me to trust you in this trial, not to fret, not to worry, but just to wait upon you, and that's what I'm going to do. We're just so afraid to do that, I think. To get in that spot, when everything is shouting at us to do something, and yet the Lord says, don't you do a thing. You just stay and you wait upon me and I will show you what to do in my time. That's a hard one. But we never learn it unless we're put this, beside this drying brook. In the place of trial, we find the Lord does prove himself to be faithful. He did feed Elijah. He did try his faith, but he also rewarded his faith. And he guided Elijah to the next step and continued to meet his need by that widow of Zarephath. This time it wasn't going to be ravens twice a day bringing bread and flesh. That would have been like a feast. But it's this little old widow woman who has just enough meal in her barrel for one more meal. You see the step up now? It's every day you're going to go to the meal and there'll be enough for that day. God proved himself faithful. So as servants, you and I, we progress to the next stage in fulfilling his purpose because of the waiting at the drying brook. You see, the, I guess the basic truth here is don't give up in times of testing. Don't doubt God. Don't take things into your own hands. Trust Him. You might not like what He's doing. You don't have to like it. He just wants you to trust Him. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Living by faith one day at a time. Simple. Simple.
God stamp that word on our souls for his name's sake. Let's bow our head in prayer. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, it is in Christ Jesus' name that we come at the close of this meeting. We know, Father, that thou hast put us where we are in life. Every mountain that seems uncrossable, every valley that we are called to go through, every raging river, we've been brought there by divine providence. And Lord, it might well be tonight there's one of thy people here that feels themselves in Elijah's place, is sitting down beside a drying brook, not knowing what to do, wanting to do something. Come to that child of thine and speak those words thou didst speak to Israel of old, be still and know that I am God. They might trust thee like a little child. Wait upon thee. Call upon thee. Grant them the confidence that thou wilt lead them every step of the way. For this God is our God forever and ever, even unto death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.